So who was the greatest apostle? That's the question. If you guys have been tracking with us through the Gospel of Matthew, it's been really hitting on the importance of seeing Jesus as the rightful king. Okay, It was written to a Jewish audience, and I love how Matthew has really brought out just some of those themes that we have studied. And as we jump into chapter 18, we're going to see gears change a little bit from all the cool things the king had been doing to now, here's some practical teachings, which we jumped into a little bit last week as we considered verses 15 to 21 in chapter 18 together. But we're jumping back here this morning, and here Jesus is going to begin to teach us what is needed, what is practical, what is in the need to know for us as believers and if you guys recall what was going on in the previous chapter we have peter james and john they got to go up a mountain see jesus glow and we looked at that at length and what a great opportunity but right after that this question comes up well who's the greatest because us three we got to go up on the mountain i don't know if it was one of them who asked but (laughs) what's up with you other nine Weren't you good? Who's going to be the greatest? Because it might be one of us three, and then which one of us three? And do we ever do that? Who's the greatest? I know you do, because I get those emails. Hey, what's the greatest podcast you've been listening to, Pastor? I want the best right now. I mean, we're so into that. And one of those things, we're going to look this morning. I'm not going to get into it now. We're going to see what Jesus has to say about being great and how he looks at those things. So we have Peter, James, and John. They just got to see the transfiguration. They got to see, um, yeah, Moses, Elijah there, Jesus glowing. But I want to consider these three guys, okay? John, would you guys say he was the greatest? He lived the longest, right? And he got to get the book of Revelation, And the Gospel of John is always the Gospel I tell others to read first when they start reading the Bible. Do you guys do the same thing? Gospel of John. Be praying. I gave out almost 20 Gospels of John at the pantry this last week. And most of them are like, I'm going to read. You know, so be praying that hearts are open to receive the Word of God. And why did John write that? That they may believe in Jesus Christ and unbelieving have eternal life. Okay, Uh, so pray for open hearts in that. So we have John. He got to lean on the chest uh, of Jesus at the Last Supper. He was called the one who Jesus loved. Did you guys ever read that? Oh, you know which book that's found in? John. John was writing about himself. Did you guys always think that's so goofy? It's like, really, dude? It's kind of like Moses writing, Moses, the most humble man in the entire world. (laughs) That would be so hard. Anyways. And then we have Peter. Maybe he was the greatest. He definitely was the overseer in the scriptures of so much. Or wait, maybe it was John. Do you guys know that he was there, the apostle in Jerusalem, right? Uh, The leader there. Or James and John who had asked their mom, Hey, Jesus, can my boys have box seats? Maybe they ended up there in glory in that way. Who knows? We need to remember, guys, Jesus was just talking about his abasement, and now they can only think about the advancement. Oh, the desire to be celebrities rather than servants. And aren't we the same way today still? Who's going to be the greatest, guys? 
It's going to be the servant of all. That's what Jesus says. So I picture Jesus walking down the line when they asked him this question. Who's going to be the greatest? As they wait breathlessly for Jesus to name one to be the winner. It is you. Okay? Let's go. Can you guys picture Jesus doing this? Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Catch, you guys know this? A tiger by the toe. If he hollers, let him go. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. My mother told me to pick you. Okay? <laughs> it's the guy with no halo. I must be Judas. I don't know. <laughs> but anyways, I picture Jesus bringing over and picking up Peter's child and placing him or her in the midst because it's in, in his house there in Capernaum. So did Peter, James, and John receiving this prestigious pick to go up on this mount where the transfiguration took with Jesus, stir up this question or this debate among the 12 disciples? Did this fuel their fire for competition? I picture from God's vantage point, the discussion being something like this. Okay, all the crystals inside a salt shaker discussing, who's saltier? Picture that. Is that silly? I think that's kind of how this discussion probably was, or this debate. Come on, guys, stand together, okay? No matter who is the greatest, stand together. Be together. It's serving your superiors and your inferiors. It is the way of firstness is to be a servant. So don't aim, and I want you guys to catch this. I don't know who said it, but don't aim for human greatness. Aim to be more like Jesus Christ. That should be our aim. Are we good at missing the mark? That's sin, guys. If you're going to be on, you're going to be a servant. Sin or serve? So, uh, and aren't we just as wrong to think that the kingdom of God has say, levels, or classes, or rank. But you're a pastor. You're more spiritual than everybody. That's why you're called to teach. Now, I'm called to teach, really, guys? I think God knows how big of a sinner I am, that he's like, son, I'm going to place you in ministry where you're around brothers and sisters, and you have to be in my word continually, because you need a lot more grace than others. <laughs> you guys understand that we as believers, we are one in Christ. There is no ranking system. We are equals. And it's a bummer when we do put people up high on a pedestal. Because what ends up happening when we fall? See a pastor fall into adultery. Or this person misuse funds. Two of my favorite people that just happened in the last month. My heart's been greed. My heart's been broken. And my prayer is, hey, protect the believers in Chicagoland. They've taken a blow this last year. A couple huge, big-name evangelicals who've led many thousands and thousands to Jesus Christ through the years of fallen. And then someone locally, we need to be praying for that church family. But doesn't that just grieve your heart? And the worst part of it is when we see brothers and sisters, oh, can't believe my pastor did that. I don't know if I can trust God anymore. Isn't that a bummer? 
I don't know if I can go to church anymore. Again, what have we done? We put people in the wrong position, guys. We are all here to serve. And that's how we need to look at one another. And if we're not serving, you need to start serving. And that's hopefully where you get provoked this morning as we go through this passage of Scripture. So don't aim for human greatness. Don't make that your goal. Aim to be more like Jesus Christ. And if you know him, he's doing that work in you already. And we need to follow him in that. So isn't it false humility to say, hey, I'm going to be the one in the back in heaven one day cleaning the clouds, right? Okay, that'll be the greatest. No. You see, Jesus here explains that everybody is great inside. So there are no little souls inside the kingdom. I want you guys to turn real quick. We're going to come back and jump right into chapter 18 in a moment. I want you to jump to chapter 11. Some of you guys may have remembered this passage from six months ago. But Jesus answers this question, who's the greatest? He says in verse 11, I tell you the truth. And all that Jesus says is true. But he says, of all who ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Yet, even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Think about that for a second. Jesus is saying, I mean, this is John the Baptist, the forerunner, okay? The one who was calling all of Israel to repent and turn to Jesus when he came. He's the greatest man who ever lived, yet the least of those who will believe upon me is going to be greater than him. Think about that for a moment. So I'm going to show you guys a clip right now from one of my favorites, probably my top favorite three movies. Um, it's a, a Pixar, The Incredibles. How many of you guys would agree with me? All right, you're my true friends. Uh, <laughs> anyways, a little bit of a backstory because this is going to fit really, really good. Uh, to what Jesus is getting at here. But you guys remember Mr. Incredible? He's a superhero dad in the movie, and he's tired of his job. He's working for an insurance company, but that's not really who he is. And he has this little friend, Edna, who's about two feet tall. You guys remember her? Okay. She makes superhero suits for a living. Okay. And he comes and he shows her a design. Hey, I'm thinking this. And he keeps, uh, and he, <laughs> and she keeps telling him, "You just need to lose the cape." So it's a short clip. So isn't this like the whole humanity problem? God is telling us to lose the cape. You know, can we just be secretly incredible? Humanity means knowing yourself, accepting yourself, being yourself, your best self and giving yourself for others. See, imagine for a moment that these 12 men, disciples, soon to be apostles, fighting over in humility, who's the most humble, okay, um, to be the greatest. See, this is the kingdom in which every man ascends by willingly going down. So children were not given much recognition in the New Testament. 
The test of greatness is being ready to serve other people even if they are unimportant, even as a little child, say, in that time. That's why I encourage you guys to serve our kids. We shouldn't neglect them. Kids' ministry is huge. We take it very seriously here. I think one of the greatest gifts that we have, one of the biggest ministries we have, is to our children. To be honest with you guys, I'd probably still be youth pastoring if I wasn't asked to leave the church I was at. I never wanted to be a senior pastor. I love kids. Youth group was fun, wasn't it? (laughs) I love it. I still love hanging out with you guys on Sunday nights once in a while. But be praying for our youth leaders. Be praying for our kids' church teachers. Okay, very important ministry. We're going to see why. Because as we look at this passage, we're going to see that Jesus turns everyday values on its head. Okay, and he tells us that we're to receive all of God's people as we do children with no thoughts of accomplishments or influence, their fame or their gifts, but simply just because they are his kids. And doesn't that make sense to us? Yeah, that's the heart of God. We should just really love And God has a heart for kids. I should too. So let's take a look. We're going to break down uh, this chunk of scripture set before us this morning. And the first, first we're going to look at how Jesus has asked us to receive, okay, uh, to receive him, Jesus, like a child. So let's take a look at the first four verses here. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like little, little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So a child, this really illustrates humility, and dependence at the same time. A child represented someone completely reliant upon another. I want you guys to think back. How many of you guys have been parents? Awesome. Think back when they were super, super, super little. Little bitties, okay? Where it didn't hurt to pick them up yet. (laughs) Stuff. Totally reliable. Could they make a go of it on their own? No way. My kids are a little older now. They could make it on their own, but my house would be probably burnt to the ground if that was the case, right? So they need that. They're totally dependent. So children without status in the ancient world and the mercy of the adults. So very small children consumed resources. They require uh, constant attention and they need to be protected. However, as they grow, children could help with the work. They could help provide for the family's needs, and they could defend their city in battle. So little children are free from habits which adults have acquired. They're natural and trustful because they know nothing of deception or diplomacy. They say what they mean, and they believe what they hear. They have no fear and are not worried about the future. They know their parents take care of them and, not, and do not fail to meet their daily needs no matter how poor they may be. And this is a trusted child in what they have in their parents, loving parents. 
So, catch in verse 3, become as little children. This is what our God is asking us to do. I thought I'm supposed to be all grown up. Everybody else is telling me to grow up. (laughs) And you're telling me to do what? Become like a little child? It describes a change of attitude. That's what Jesus is getting at here, a change of attitude. Um, So Jesus contrasts the disciples' pride with what? The humility of a child. Do you guys see what Jesus is doing here? What he's getting at? So unlike children who had no status, the disciples were expecting to be honored in the kingdom. So verse 5 tells us that we're to receive a child like Christ. And I want you guys to catch as we go through this what Jesus is getting at. Because in verse 5 he says, whoever receives one of these little or a, or a little child like this in my name receives me. So one who has a child's heart receives a child, which in turn is receiving Christ himself. So we should be never in that place of saying, no, (laughs) little ones, you're just a problem. (laughs) We need you to go. And I see that today going on. Too many moms and dads, hey, don't want to deal with you. Why don't you go watch the tube for a while? Why don't you go play some video games? No, we're to receive these little children, and especially how much more as the church of God. Okay, We take children's church seriously. We're not babysitting your kids this morning. We are teaching them of Jesus Christ. They are learning the word of God. They are praying together. They are worshiping together. It is good. So, and the person that does not have a child heart will offend the child. And we see that in verses 6 through 9, okay? Enticing a child to sin. Do you guys see that? It's like an emoji sad face with tears. That's, it's worse than that when you make a child sin, okay? Why? Because Jesus tells us in verse 6, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were tied around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to the man by whom the offenses come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lamed and maimed rather than having two hands and two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell. So the one who causes one of these little ones to sin, that's what Jesus is getting at. And that's what he's calling us to. Be careful. Do not cause one of these kids to sin. In the Greek, the word is scandalizo, okay? And if you guys take a look with me at verse 7, three times these offenses, sin, come up. So if you cause or if you entice a child to sin, to trip, to stumble, to fall, okay? Well, how can one entice a child to sin? I would say foremost, it could be not training the child up in the way of the Lord. One of my pet peeves is when I hear somebody say, 
well, I'm not making them read the Bible. We don't go to church because I want them to have the choice one day on what they want to believe and what they want to do. Shame on you. You just hid the truth from your child. And that's one thing that grieves my heart as I share with different people who have kids. You share the gospel with them and they have every excuse in the book of why they're not going to seek the Lord or even take the time to read and you know, even go through and talk about this. And my heart just breaks. You got kids. You are willfully ignoring God because you are loving your sin and you are going to hide the truth of eternal life from your children because of your sin. And as a result of your sin, you're going to cause them to sin. Do you guys know that disbelief is a sin? It is. I mean, God has made it clear. We have no excuse, we're told in the scriptures. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, right? We're all in this place. We know. And kids aren't dumb. We tell them that, hey, all this stuff here, yeah. There's a God out there that created it. Wow, that totally makes sense. Because I wouldn't think all this could come from nothing. But yet, we are brainwashing our kids in the public schools. That is sin. Telling our children there's no God? That nothing blew up, and that's how all this happened. Dang. We need to pray for our public school teachers, guys. Uh, but also there can be things that we can look at, you know, how can we cause a child to sin? Well, there's child molestation, okay? A um, lot of that up in the jail through the years, ministered to a lot of pedophiles. A lot of those guys were abused themselves as a child. I would say 90% of the men I ministered to were they themselves abused also, there could be child abduction, trafficking, child labor, a child being kept from education. There's so many things. It is so easy to cause a child to sin. So what do we need to do? I'm glad you asked. We need to control what we do. Look at verse 6. It says, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Control what you do. So in these verses, Jesus uses this hyperbole to make a point about the seriousness of sin. He's not joking around about this. Okay? This isn't the easiest passage of Scripture to read through, but Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth. And the truth is, we need to be aware of this. Okay? Here the Lord repeats a message from the Sermon on the Mount. And why not? Great lessons need to be often taught, especially lessons that involve painful self-denial. So little ones, okay? If actually children, okay, it's a dangerous thing then for us as parents or other adults to cause children to stumble and to miss the way of salvation. So how important is it for us to have a good example in our homes? I did youth ministry for 13 years. I don't know how many kids wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Well, they came to youth group. It's because mom and dad went to church. But pastor, you don't know what goes on at home. And some of these kids opened up. And I knew mom and dad. Everything looked really good. 
Hey, bro, good to see you this morning. Yeah, you too, you know? Out to do service projects, great families. But then you hear about what actually is going on in the home. Guys, we need to be an example to our kids. They know if we're playing games. We can't say one thing and do another. So, um, yeah. It's dangerous for parents to misguide. But I also want to refer to status for a second in regards to this passage, not just age. This description is likely pointing to new or immature believers or perhaps humbly or lowly uh, disciples of Jesus. So free cement shoes can be given for tripping kids. If you guys catch what he goes on to say about the millstone, if you don't, or if you do cause one of these children of God to trip up, this millstone, okay, will be tied around your neck and you thrown in the sea. So the upper millstone that took a donkey, okay, it was that big. It took a whole donkey. Did you guys see a millstone go by? Oh, good. You go by, okay? That big stone, that's what he's saying here. And this was historically the fate of some. So make sure in your life there is nothing that make young believers stumble. Make sure of that. But what about my rights to drink or smoke or chew or go with the girls that do? Okay? <laughs> um, all liberties... Catch this, brothers and sisters. If you miss all of this this morning, this is the one thing I want you to catch. All liberties stop at the door of stumbling someone else. Would you guys agree with me? All liberties. Yeah, we're not under the law anymore. We're free to do whatever we want. But let me tell you what, if you're really born again, if you're really saved, you're going to want to honor your God. You're going to want to do what he says. You're going to have a heart like his and he cares about kids. And you're not going to want to do those things that would stumble them. Okay? So Christians know this. Someone is watching you. So walk your talk. Walk your talk. Jesus said, free cement shoes for tripping young believers. Also, if we see in verse 9, we need to control what you see. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Tear it out and throw it from you. So the seriousness of sin that requires radical action. So Jesus tells us not to coddle sin, but to crucify sin. That's what our God is asking us to do. And to be honest with you guys, there are so many in the church that love to coddle sin a little bit. How far can I go and still have my Christian life? Still have Jesus. In Jesus, it's clear. Didn't we just study that? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. That is the call. There's a call to discipleship. That's why we see so many people leaving the church today. They never took into account what it would cost them to actually follow Jesus Christ. Because so I got up and came forward and prayed a prayer with somebody because the pastor said, if I come to Jesus Christ, everything's going to be great. I'll have a ticket to heaven. Is that true? Yes. But there's a whole lot more to following Jesus than just that. There's a call of allegiance now from a bad king to a good king. Okay? A denying of self, a repenting of sin. 
And a lot of times, people don't work out the cost of following Jesus. That when those who came forward to receive Jesus, life gets a little hard, I'm out of here. Can't believe anymore. Can't walk with the Lord. This is just too hard. Bummer. So, the last section here, don't stumble others. Pretty simple. Now don't stumble yourself, right? Don't pamper sin in your life. So here Jesus puts a personal holiness in the most dramatic and drastic terms, I think, in the whole of Bible. Would you guys agree with me? If you stumble one of these kids, man, millstone, thrown into the sea. <laughs> That's pretty straightforward stuff. So dealing drastically with sin is like a surgeon doing uh, what he does to cancerous tumor or say what a shark would do to someone who was wounded in the sea. I love Billy Sunday. He once said this, one reason sin flourishes is that it is treated like a cream puff rather than a rattlesnake. And aren't we the same way? Oh, a little drinking, a little partying, a little fun with this stuff, porn, no big deal. No one's going to get hurt. Why in the heck do we coddle sin, guys? It's not a cream puff. <laughs> sin is bad because it's bad. You guys understand that? It may be fun for a season, but let me tell you what. What you reap or what you sow, you will reap. And what you reap from sin is never good. So why? Oh, actually, let's go back here. Um, the course the Lord is not commanding um, literally that we are cutting off our hands and feet and plucking out our eyeballs. Do you guys know that? It's not talking about doing this physically, literally. He's talking here about spiritual surgery. That's what needs to happen. He had already made it clear that sin comes from where? It's not my hand. It's not my foot. It's not what I'm looking at. Sin comes from where? We studied it. It's the heart. What's going on in the inside? That's where the surgery needs to take place, guys. And unfortunately, some in the early church did take this literal. You guys ever hear or, uh, origin of Alexandria? Castrated himself. I don't want to sit, right? He went that far. Um, the Council of Nicaea finally uh, outlawed that practice, which is good. But why? Because you can't you can hack off your hands, you can chop off your feet, you can pop out your eyeballs, you can even get neutered and still have or be the most vile sinner there is. Okay? Um, so hand, foot, and eye. Maybe, guys, it's representing the totality of our life. Hand, what we do. Feet, where we're going. Eye, what we see. So what harmful practices does he want us to cut off or out of our life? I'd encourage you some guys to take some time and really pray on that. Seek the Lord. Maybe the Lord's convicting you right now. Write it down. Deal with it. Because we can know. We can know a whole lot of things, but what we actually do with it is a whole other thing. So halfway measures just won't do and no one can do it for you. The consequences of this, guys, hell. Gehenna is the word that's used. G, valley, henna, hynum. Jesus believed in a place called Gehenna, hell. 
he spoke of it more than he ever did of heaven. Hell's a very unpopular thing. We don't even hear it preached on much anymore. But Jesus preached on it a whole bunch. You see, there is a just God. There is going to be, as a result of sin, eternal punishment, torment, righteous punishment. But wait, doesn't that make God mean? No. No. Would a loving mother, you know, not give warnings to her child? Oh, I'm cooking dinner. Come on over here. Check out how hot the stove is. What mom's going to do that? Every mom I've ever seen, you're out of the, just get out of the kitchen. You can't even come in here right now. Don't even go close to that. Son, I don't want you to go within a mile of the road, <laughs> right? Because if you do run in the road, you might get hit. Don't we, as loving parents, want to protect our kids? That's the same thing with our God, guys. He loves us. He's going to warn us. And may I encourage you, brothers and sisters, when God is sounding alarm, when the warnings are coming, take heed to them. He cares about us. He loves us. Okay? Sin stinks. Sin destroys. It kills. And when he brings those signs, those warnings, take heed, listen. He does that in order to protect us. And let me tell you what, I can't name one time in my life where I found myself in sin. I can't think of one where there wasn't a warning beforehand from my Heavenly Father. That's how much my dad loves me. Every single time, whether it's the Holy Spirit alarm going off or a word that was spoken from another brother or sister or even unbelievers at times. God has always been faithful to speak to me in whatever means to give me warnings before I found myself in the slop with the pigs. He is faithful to do that. If you're able to sin, and it's easy, and there's no warnings, you're probably not born again and you're going to hell. That's what the Bible says. But if you are his kid, you are born again in the Spirit of God, and as a child of God, he loves you enough to spank your butt. And if we're not disciplined by the Lord, you're probably not his kid. So make sure you have relationship with him. There's a lot of people that believe in God, <laughs> but they don't have relationship with him. And they're going to fall into that Matthew 7, 21. Many in that day will say to me, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. And that departure is to hell, guys. So, don't coddle sin, right? Honest warnings come. That's part of God's love. Receive them. Don't coddle the sin. Crucify the sin. Let's move on to verse 10. Despising a child. Verse 10, take heed that no one or that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven their angels, check it out, they got angels. They always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that has gone 
or that is straying. And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he, rejoice, he rejoices over the sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. It's not the will of God. He desires all to come to the saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is, right? That none should perish. That's scriptural. But shame on us. <laughs> How will they hear unless there's a preacher? I'm going to leave you guys. And you're going to go into all the world and make disciples. Go. There's a quarter of a million people in the valley. 200 churches. How many of you guys in the last week had somebody come up to you and share the gospel with you? Last month. Anybody? Last six months. Anybody come, a stranger, just come and share the gospel with you? Was it at work? Lucky. See, baristas can get saved too. <laughs> Last year, so we got one. Last year, anybody just randomly come up to you, hand you a track, share the gospel with you? Year. Two years. Most of the people in the valley are going to end up in hell. Well, that's on them. They never sought God. If they would have just picked up the Bible and read, they would have known. They're blind, guys. Their daddy is Satan, is what the Bible says. They're sons and daughters of disobedience. They are blinded from the gospel, at least they should believe. Okay? 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 tells us. And we wonder why more people aren't walking with Jesus. I think if we just did what we're asked to do, okay, and instead of sharing the gospel, we are sending our kids where? To these places that want nothing to do with God. And unfortunately, most of these students can go to school for a whole, what is it, 13 years? They don't do college and never hear the gospel once. Shame on us. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but the first book that we ever printed here in the United States, you guys know what we printed first? Bibles. And you know what they were used for? Educating our children. Hey, what's the best book we got? What is the most important thing that we need to teach to our kids? <gasps> they need the gospel. They need the truth. Well, let's get some printing presses going and money together to print off all these books for our students. We need to get them the Word of God. And then not too long ago, 1957, we outlawed Bibles in our schools. Shame on us. And now we just lie to our kids. There is no God. Nothing blew up. Evolution is true. Which is still to be proven, by the way. But that's what they believe. And that's why they can't believe when maybe one day they do get to hear the gospel. As we need to share. Share with your neighborhood kids. Share with family. It's one thing God's asked us to do. And let me tell you what, we can love on believers real well and we can love them into hell. We need to speak the word of God, the gospel to them. And we're not to be ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God onto salvation. That's right. So, do not despise 
a child. Did you guys check out the angels that they have? These children have angels. Is that true? Have any of you guys ever seen an angel? I think in the book of Hebrews, it actually tells us we've entertained angels that time without even knowing it. Just strangers. Have you guys ever had an encounter with somebody where something went down, you had this interaction, you end up walking away, and you're like, was that an angel? What in the... That was just, you know, looked totally normal. But whatever it was, was a very God spiritual thing that just happened. Okay? I've had, had that happen a few times. I'm scratching my head again. <laughs> was that an angel? Could have been. Don't know. But we are told from God Himself that these kids have angels. You see the concept scripturally of guardian angels for individuals as well as nations. It pervades. Uh, the Jewish writings of that period. It was all over the place. Okay, Daniel 10, I read this last week. You guys remember he fasted for 21 days? And what happened? Hey, there was a message. He was seeking the Lord. He, he was he, wanting to hear. He was in prayer daily. Okay, I'm going to seek you, Lord. I'm going to seek until I hear from you. And aren't we told that Michael the archangel had to be dispatched Okay, because there was a war going on with the prince of Persia, another angelic being, demonic, okay, over that area. And that had to happen, and then finally Gabriel came, was able to come and to deliver that message. Hebrews 1.14, you can jot down, not they, or not they, or are, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. That's speaking of angels. In Psalm 91.11, it says, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. Isn't that crazy to think about? One of the coolest, I don't know how many guys read about missionaries. I love reading about missionaries. You know, and the things that have taken place last week at the youth group, they went through William Carey and how he brought the gospel to India, just the radical things that took place and the fruit that came from his efforts there. Um, but I love hearing stuff that's happening now because you guys know that our God's not dead. Okay, he's still on the move. God is still sending people out. The gospel's still going forth. People are still getting saved all around the world. It's pretty exciting stuff. Um, even, yeah, this last year I was introduced to the Children's uh, Fellowship. What is it called? Evangelical Children's Fellowship? Whatever. It's the largest children's ministry in the world. I didn't even know about it. And stuff. They're in every state in the United States. They're in every nation but one in the entire world ministering to kids. How cool is that, guys? I didn't even know this was going on, but they've been around for decades doing this. And they do new, uh, good news clubs. We're hoping, and I've been praying a lot, that God would raise up people who have a burden, a heart for children. We can actually go to public schools and have a club after school where we get to share Jesus Christ with these kids. It's their choice if they want to come or not, you know, but we have the privilege to do that. But let me tell you what, it's going to take a team to do something like that in Kokana, but it would be so cool. And that's where we need to pray. God's asked us not to despise the children, but go. But anyways, back to the angels. I love how God just does things. Uh, heard of a group um, stateside here that were moved. There was a gal in the fellowship. Hey, our brother and sister, they're out on the mission field. They're in Africa. They're serving. We need to get together and we need to pray right now, okay? 
Well, there was a group of 10 that got together to pray that night. And they prayed for a couple hours specifically for this group. But what was going down is they were praying here in the United States. Okay, they were over there, and the husband was making a trip to the main city, and he was carrying some cash to buy some goods. Okay? In this part of Africa, you don't want to travel, you don't want to travel alone. They brought their oldest son with, and just him and the son went to the city. Okay? Well, word got around that, hey, the missionary is going into town. Well, there was a group of guys that were going to go and steal everything he had um, and plans just to kill the guy and his son. Well, the story came back that as they were on their way, and it was a two-day trip, they were spending the night. They were going to overtake them in the middle of the night. Uh, there is these men were waiting for them in their opportunity and stuff. There were 10 other angels or not angels, they didn't know. They described them as men who had big guns. <laughs> Ten of them were standing in a circle around this dad and son as they slept that night. You know, And it ended up being to the place that one of those men that were going to do that came and shared, like, who were these guys? He was asking questions as a result of questioning who all these other men were with these guns there just to protect this guy and his son. He ended up giving his life to Christ, which is really cool. But there's so many things, you know, that we hear like that going on even still today. And we don't all see what's going on in the spiritual realm. But let me tell you what, there are things happening. We're going to entertain. I, I think about Acts 12, 15. You can jot that down too. You guys remember there, it says, you're out of your mind, they said, when she insisted. And they decided it must be his angel while Peter will continue knocking on the door. You know, it was such a common thing. It's just like, oh, it's not Peter knocking. It's probably just his angel. Wouldn't it be cool if things were happening like that today? You know? Anyways. Angels are cool. We're going to meet some someday. I want to talk to you real quick as we close up this morning. Three reasons not to despise one of these little ones. First of all, angels are interested in them as we saw there in verse 10, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of the Father. Angels don't despise uh, these little ones. They watch over them. They guard them. They stand in heaven's court for them. Secondly, guys, Jesus is interested in them. Look at verse 11 and 13. He has come to find the little children. And then number three, the Father's interested in him. We see that in verse 14. So if you despise a little child, look down on with contempt, you're coming against the angels, against Jesus Christ and the Father. Woo! Right? And then check out verse 13. And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did go astray. So what is Jesus' response to a, way, a wayward sheep? A backslidden or a strain? Does he get angry? Is he in disgust with them? No. We're told there is joy. Okay, He has joy over that one. In Luke 12, 32, Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom of God. That's what God's given us, guys. He loves us. He's saved us from our sin. Given us eternal life. He's given us the kingdom.
And I want to just think if this shepherd goes out of his way for adult sheep, how much more is he going to go out of his way for little sheep, the lambs? So with God, it isn't win a few, lose a few, or win some, lose some. So kind of going back around, what, what is great? What is great? The power to manage other men, to reign over them, that's tyranny. What is Christ's standard of greatness? Well, if we begin, I want you guys to track with me. This is our closing thought. If we begin with the last thing here and we move backwards through this study, through this passage of Scripture, what does it say? Despise not a child. Offend not a child. Receive a child. How? By becoming like a child. And when you become like a child, then you become great. Do you guys see that here? That's what God's laid down before us this morning. So to despise a child is to be out of harmony with the angels, the Son and the Father. To offend a child is to steal your do- or is to seal your doom. To receive a child is to entertain Jesus Christ. And to be like a child is to be great. Good word? Hard word, but it's a needed word today for the church. I encourage you, mom and dads, partake of the parents' conference. It'll be good. Okay? And for any of us, opportunities to love on kids. Let's do it. Let's serve our kids well. Some of you guys need to be praying, hey, I'm a part of this church family. How can I serve? Well, I'd encourage you to serve in the best part of our church. Get involved in our kids' ministry. Be a helper. They're always looking for helpers. If you want to be a teacher, hey, get involved. We got some training. You know, we'll work with you. Good stuff.